Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Good morning, Fellowship. Come on, people. Good morning, Fellowship. There we go. Hi, I'm Chris Katolka. It was a very kind introduction. Um, I do serve with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We're a ministry just, that's right here, uh, just a couple minutes from Fellowship uh, in uh, Belmar, New Jersey. Uh, maybe you've passed by our headquarters at some point. You should come visit us. We're on Almaneston Road. That's our international headquarters for all the work that Friends of Israel is doing to minister to Jewish people all around the world, which includes church plants in Israel, ministering to Jewish people, even right now in Ukraine, who are who are uh, dealing with the war in Poland, uh, all throughout Europe, South America, and then I get the privilege of uh, helping oversee all of the work that happens in North America that uh, is in the U.S. and Canada as well. You might have heard I'm also the host of the Friends of Israel Today radio program. Uh, it's sad that he's not here today, but Steve Conover goes to this church. He is uh, the, the uh, executive producer. He's the voice on the radio that brings calm and welcomes people in. And then I'm the crazy guy that kind of shakes things up a little bit. Uh, we're on about 300, 400 stations all around the U.S. and Canada and a podcast. And you can listen at foiradio.com. Org. And then I got one more thing for you. Uh, we have um, our magazine, Israel My Glory. I don't know if anybody gets Israel My Glory magazine, but this magazine has been in production since 1942. It's read by people all around the world. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Israel and the Jewish people, how they fit into the Bible, why they matter to God uh, biblically, this is a great magazine to pick up. Uh, I have a few outside that you can take home. Please, one per family if you don't mind. And uh, you can go to israelmyglory.org. If you've never subscribed to this magazine before, we'll give you a one-year free subscription. Uh, that's six issues that will come to your house where you can get our digital version, but that's Israel My Glory. And this is actually a very important magazine because it talks about anti-Semitism, which is the hatred of the Jewish people. Uh, and then uh, while you're on your way out, you can also get plugged into the ways that you can learn about Israel and the Jewish people through our Many programs that we have at Friends of Israel uh, that either uh, teach you online through our FOI Equip class, which is all on this card here, and you can take this card. I've got uh, plenty out there, but ways to not only learn online, but also to get involved. Do you all know that you live in one of the largest Jewish populations in the world right here in the Northeast Corridor? I mean, honestly, Brooklyn is basically the Jerusalem of the Northeast. And so if you ever want to see Jewish life and experience it firsthand, we'd love to take you on one of our trips called the Encounter Program, where we'll take you into the Hasidic sections of Brooklyn and we'll introduce you to the Jewish community that's right here in your backyard in South Jersey. People fly from all over the country to come here to experience that. Well, it's right in your backyard, so maybe you'll want to get involved and you can pick up a card and find ways that you can connect with Friends of Israel. All right, so if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I had a dilemma here on uh, what to call this sermon, okay? It was a, it was a struggle, an internal struggle. Uh, I, I landed on Peter's truth bombs to Israel, okay? But I also was thinking maybe we should call this sermon inception because it's a sermon in a sermon, you know? Like the movie Inception, a dream within a dream. Well, this is a sermon within a sermon because Peter, he preached 
uh, a sermon and I'm telling you, I'm ba- I should just read the sermon to you and call the day and then you go home. But we're going to unpack it a little bit and we're going to show you because Peter begins to preach. As you're going to Acts chapter 2, I, I want to share with you the way that I-, I-, I see the book of Acts. And maybe it will help you as you and uh, Pastor Mosier and the rest of the teaching team are going to lead you through Acts. I-, I see Acts like this. And maybe this will help a little bit. You know, Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, you're going to go to the disciples. You're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And I think a lot of times what happens is when people begin to think, okay, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, we're taking this gospel and we're going out. That it's almost like an arrow that's pointing us out of Jerusalem. We're leaving Jerusalem. We're getting out of this old city. This old way of doing things. That's then. This is now. And we're going to move out of this place. That's what Jesus is doing. He's breaking us out. Well, he is breaking us out to bring the gospel. But I see the book of Acts a little bit differently than an arrow that's leaving Jerusalem and going to the world. See, I see the book of Acts more like a dartboard. And there's these concentric circles that are going around the bullseye. And I see what hap- what's happening here in the book of Acts is that as the apostles, especially when you get to Paul, but we're, we're, we're starting in Jerusalem today. We're in Jerusalem as we're starting. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. What I see happening is that the book of Acts is the, the story of the early church going out into the world, but pointing people back to Jerusalem. It's not that we're leaving this old city and getting out of here. It's, hey, we need to tell the world that the king came. The king has come. Uh, The apostle Paul is going to be the perfect example of all this because he's willing to wait in jail for two years in Caesarea, which is in Israel. For two years, he's willing to be an innocent man in jail to go where? To go to Rome. Why? Why? Why would he do that to himself? He's an innocent man. They all knew he was innocent. But he was willing to be in jail for two years for the opportunity to go to Rome, which was the center of the world at that time. When we talk about going to the ends of the earth, Rome is the center of the ends of the earth. And you know exactly what Paul wanted to do? He wanted to go face to face with Caesar to let Caesar know something. I know you think you're the king of the world, but I have to tell you something. The king of kings has come and he's not here in Rome. He's coming back to Jerusalem. His feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives and you're going to want to be on his side. I want to share with you the good news as the head of the whole world, which Caesar was at that time. I want to tell you something. All that you think you are, it's not real. The true king is coming to Jerusalem. So when you're going through Acts, remember these concentric circles of the world. And all of them point back to Jerusalem. Because the king, Jesus, y'all, Jesus isn't coming back to Philadelphia. Go Eagles. Okay, great. That's fantastic. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. He's not coming back to Philadelphia, the cradle of liberty. He's not coming back to New York City. He's not coming back to Shanghai. He's not coming back to London. He's coming back to Jerusalem. Do you remember 
in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples are staring, like Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are going up, or Jesus is going up and the disciples are going, what is going on right now? Did not see this coming. Angels appear to the disciples and say, don't be dismayed. Don't be upset. Don't be surprised. In the same way he ascended is the same way he's returning. He's coming back to this mountain. Do you remember what mountain he was, they were on? The Mount of Olives. So really, Jerusalem was the centerpiece, is the centerpiece even today. I can take you to Jerusalem today. We can go there. I can put you on the Mount of Olives. And then he's coming back again to Jerusalem. This was the entire story. What are we doing here as the, early, as the church? We're pointing people to the fact that the king has come and he's coming again. And so that's why this story in Acts is really, really important. It's Peter's truth bombs because we're starting in Jerusalem just as Jesus had said one chapter earlier. Now, I'll, I'll introduce you to my crew. I'm going to owe them money after this because there's been a transition in this joke that I usually tell about them. Because uh, my wife's like, you can't tell this joke anymore. And then a friend said, well, you could tell the joke, but you just got to pay them every time you say it. Okay, so I'm going to owe my kids money now. It's like a copyrighted situation. But I call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? And my kids don't like that at all. Uh, they're like, you got to stop saying that. But they, are, they still are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, like as much as they act like they're not. Um, I have a whole routine that I like to do on it. But that's for when we get to the book of Revelation and Phil Mosier calls me back. But that's my daughter, Olive. Uh, my twin sons, pray for us, please, okay? My twin sons... Uh, Cohen and Preston. And then Levi woke me up this morning and says, please tell all your new friends I said hello. So that's Levi down there. And then my wife, Karen, uh, she wishes she could be here too, but uh, she just couldn't, we couldn't make it. But that's our crew and I'm thankful to be here. So Peter's truth bombs to Israel. Let's start off with this before we get to Acts chapter two. Peter is speaking. The reason this sermon, as you read it, you're not gonna think much about it. But this sermon actually begins, uh, real, it's really important. It, it begins to the Jewish people. Paul even says this. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Maybe you've heard this passage before. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. Because, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, why would Paul say that? Paul actually lived this philosophy out. If you, when you go through the book of Acts, you're going to see that as Paul travels from city to city in the Gentile world, his first stop was always the synagogue to tell the Jewish people, the king has come. Jesus, the king has come. He died, resurrected, and ascended, and is sitting at the right hand of the father. That was Peter's MO. And then after the synagogue, he'd go into the city and tell the Gentile world about the king of kings. That was his MO. But there's another way to understand to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it's this way. It's the Greek word could also mean the idea of especially. Not just the fact that you should go to the Jew first to tell them the gospel. Because remember, hey everybody, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is Jewish. Do you know that? Y'all know Jesus is Jewish? Y'all know Jesus never celebrated Christmas? You know that, right? I don't mean to blow your mind here. He never celebrated Easter. That would be awkward, okay? 
He didn't do that. Jesus celebrated all the feasts of Israel, Passover, Yom Kippur, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. He celebrated Hanukkah. Okay, he was busy spinning the dreidel, okay, not putting up a Christmas tree. He went to the syn- he never went to church, he went to the synagogue. He grew up praying in Hebrew. His name isn't even Jesus, it's Yeshua. You know what Yeshua is? Joshua. His name's Joshua, deliverance, salvation. He's Jewish through and through. So this message of deliverance and salvation and trusting in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this story belongs to the Jewish people. So it's not just to the Jew first I need to go tell this to. It's to the Jew especially. If there's anybody in this world that's going to understand what it means to have a Messiah, what it means to have a Savior, what it means to have deliverance, what it means to have a sacrifice on my behalf, what it means to have a kingdom that's coming, what it means to have all of the things that we think about to be reconciled to God, all of these doctrinal truths that we even believe in, the people that should understand it the most are the people who wrote the book. Period. Do you all know your Bible is Jewish through and through from Genesis to Revelation? It's all Jewish. Paul, Jewish. Peter, Jewish. All the apostles, Jewish. The scriptures, Jewish. The gospel writers, Jewish. The only questionable person who's not Jewish could be Job and maybe Luke. Everybody else, Jewish. So when we talk about the fact that we're going to look at Peter's sermon, he's speaking to an audience that should know this. That's his audience. Listen to what he says in, uh, let me flip my mess, my thing here. Listen to what it says here in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 14. It says this, then Peter stood up with the 11, that's the other 11 apostles, and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. This is after the crowd just saw a bunch of people speaking in tongues. And communicating with one another. The spirit of God had come down. If you remember last week's sermon. And the people. The the, the spirit came down. And they understood one another. And the gospel was going out. And they were able to understand what they were saying. Despite the fact that these were Jewish people. From all over the world. Speaking different languages. They understood each other. And so Peter has to explain this now. Because the Jewish people in Jerusalem are going. Somebody is going crazy over there. Okay, there's something nuts happening over there. I don't trust those people. What's going on with them? So Peter's going to get up and explain. And notice who he speaks to. Look at verse 14 in chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And notice what he says. Fellow Jews. So we know who he's talking to. All of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. uh, And listen carefully to what I say. Verse 15, these people are not drunk. Okay, Peter. Okay, sure. No, really, they're not drunk. Look what time it is. Look what he says, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Okay? And actually, Jewish people, there's passages that talk about the fact that Jewish people weren't drinking in the morning. They'd get, they would get drunk at night. It says that in the Bible, actually. But in the morning, no. Look, it's too early. That's not the typical way for things to happen in our culture. And so look what it says here. It goes on. It's only nine in the morning. No, let me explain to you something. Because remember, they're seeing this event happen. The spirit of God has come down in Acts chapter two. People are understanding each other. 
It's a sign of what God is doing. And now Peter's going to say, I want to connect you to the events that are taking place. You Jewish people, you should know this. You should know these truths because you grew up going to synagogue. You grew up hearing the rabbis teach. You grew up hearing the haftarah in the synagogue. Haftarah are the prophets. They would hear the prophets. When Jesus even got up in the synagogue, he would read, he was the one reading the haftarah when he read Isaiah 42 and he talked about the spirit of God is on me, claiming to be the Messiah. That was a very common portion of the synagogue service. So they understood these stories. They understood what God, they should have understood what God was doing. And now Peter's going to preach to point them to the truth of what they are seeing happening in their midst. And look what it says. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will show my wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know what Peter is saying to the Jewish people who are going, what's going on here? Something weird is happening here. He's telling them, he's preaching to them and he's saying, you know, Joel, I know, you know, Joel. And you know what? We're living in the last days. Jesus has come. You're going to see he's going to explain who Jesus is in a moment in his sermon. But he's telling them, we're in the last days. This is it. The prophet Joel even says it right there in the text. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Hey, can I show you something really quick? This is what Joel says. That's actually a beautiful relief of Joel right there, uh, carved in ivory. But uh, I want to show you something. The idea of the Holy Spirit is very fascinating. It's a development that happens throughout the Bible. You know, in the Old Testament, Old Testament saints didn't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, In fact, Moses in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, he even says this. Oh, I wish that everybody could be like me and have the Spirit of God. Oh, I, I really wish that. But they didn't. God only gave his Spirit To select people that he would use to minister to individuals. Moses was one of them. He received the spirit of God. One individual. David, King David, received the spirit of God as the leader of the people of Israel. That's why a king in the Old Testament was called a Moshiach. Do you know that? A Moshiach in Hebrew is Messiah. All the kings of Israel were were Messiahs. Even in the Old Testament. Because they would anoint them with oil and the oil would run down their head. And as that oil would come on their head, it was a symbol of the Holy spirit of God coming on them. Maybe you've read a passage in Psalm 51 where David is repenting to God. And he says to God, do not take your Holy spirit from me. He's actually saying, Lord, please don't take this kingship from me. You have given me the spirit of God to be able to lead the people, but I've sinned against you so bad. Please don't remove it from me. So in the old Testament, when you received the Holy spirit, it was incredibly selective as to who God would choose us, a prophet, a priest, maybe a king or somebody like Moses, anybody leading, he would select to give the Holy spirit. 
The amazing thing is, is that when Acts chapter two happens, Joel said, oh, there's a day coming when God won't just select individual people to receive the spirit. No, there's a day coming, as Joel says, when everyone will receive the spirit. All flesh will receive my spirit. Just listen to what it says here. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit, verse 17, on all people. Now, here's what's fascinating about Peter picking this verse, because Peter could have picked a couple different verses about the Old Testament pointing to the coming of the spirit. He could have chosen Ezekiel chapter 36, where he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to put my spirit in you. That would have been simple. But he chose Joel for a reason because he wanted to show something. We are living in the last days, but we have not seen the completion of the last days happen just yet. And here's what I mean by that. When, when Jesus came and Peter's preaching this, I don't remember seeing um, the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. I, anybody see that? I didn't see that yet. Uh, the sun will be dark, turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Hey, can I tell you something? Peter's doing something brilliant here. He's saying the spirit's being poured out. We're living in the last days. Folks, you are living in the last days. People come to me and they go, hey, Chris, when's Jesus coming back? I'm like, sorry, buddy. I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole, okay? I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I can tell you this much. We're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back at any moment. Do you know that? At any moment. It's his imminent return to Jerusalem. That's the beauty of what Peter did here. We are living in the last days. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ is unified through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when you're reading through Joel here, I love what Peter does. He says, oh, the last days have been started, but there's something still yet to come. It's coming. And it's not going to be pretty. This is why Peter's going to develop this for the Jewish people. Because he's saying the day of the Lord is coming. And they knew what the day of the Lord was. It was judgment. Judgment is coming. But God provided a way. Listen to what it says here. Let me show you really quick. If I can jump to the next one. Look at this. He goes on to explain in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen. Jesus of Nazareth was the man accredited to God, uh, to you by miracles. You heard about this guy. He did miracles. He did wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to uh, you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I'm going to tell you right now, Peter's going back now. He's saying, how do I know that this spirit coming down is a testimony to what God has done through Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about Jesus. You know who Jesus is. They all knew. Because Jesus' voice and his uh, ministry was acclaimed. They knew about him. In fact, you have to think about this. The Jewish people in Jerusalem at this time were probably around when Jesus was crucified. They know who Jesus is. And see, here's the problem. In the Jewish mind, they're going, now wait a minute here. We never expected our king, a Messiah, to come and die. 
So you're going to bring this king, and then the king goes on a cross and dies a sinner's death at the hands of the Romans? That's not our king. Nope. But I want you to see what Peter does because he explains it perfectly. Look at this. He says this, if you go back, uh, I get so excited I lose my place. Here we go in verse 23. This man was handed over to you, verse 23, by God's deliberate plan. Look what it says here. His deliberate plan or his uh, predetermined plan. And look what it says here. He goes on to say, uh, and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Do you know what's amazing? This magazine, Israel My Glory, is all about anti-Semitism. You know, 50% of Americans don't know what the term anti-Semitism means. It means Jew hatred, intolerance towards Jewish people. And a lot of people over the history of church history looked to this verse and said, do you know who killed Jesus? Jewish people. My grandmother tells me growing up in the church that uh, in the Catholic church, going to Catholic school, she was taught uh, Jews killed Jesus. And that they would say to Jewish people, you're Christ killers. That's called anti-Semitism. Because that's not what Peter's saying here. Look what it says here. If you go back, look what it says. It says this. Uh, God's deliberate plan, his, his predetermined plan, his foreknowledge for you was, look, with the help of wicked man, men, you both put him to death, nailing him on the cross. The wicked men that uh, Peter's talking about in the Greek are lawless men. Who are lawless people? Well, people without law. Who's without the law? Gentiles. So you Jewish people, you got together with the Gentile people and the whole world put Jesus on the cross. This isn't just about Jewish people doing wrong. The whole gospel account is about the fact that the Jewish people conspired with the Gentiles and the Gentiles got together and all of them and the nails went into Jesus's hands. And who was it that put them there? It was a Gentile that put the nails in Jesus's hands and it was the Jewish people that wanted to see him there. It was the whole world putting Jesus on the cross. But don't be mistaken, Jewish people. See, you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, this couldn't have happened this way. Our Messiah wasn't intended to die. Well, that's the way you might think, but see, God had a plan. God's foreknowledge already saw. Don't be mistaken, Jewish people. Look what I have up here. The idea of predetermined plan is the idea of God is in control. God was in control of this thing the whole time. If you're mistaken in thinking, oh, nope, that's not our Messiah. He died. Nope. God knew exactly what he was doing. It was, he was the one in control. Or even the idea of the foreknowledge of God is divine perspective. In God's divine perspective, not your human perspective, in God's divine perspective, God knew exactly what he was doing, putting Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, think about this, had the confidence to go to the cross. And that's when Peter turns to Psalm 16. Listen to this in Psalm 16. He quotes like a good pastor quoting uh, the Bible uh, in a sermon. This is Peter using a proof text to explain that Jesus had confidence going to the cross because he knew God would raise him from the dead. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Why is the spirit come down? Why are these people speaking this way to one another? Why do you think they're drunk when they're not? Because see, Jesus came. 
and he resurrected. Look what it says, Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The whole Psalm in Psalm 16 opens with confidence, confidence, confidence in God. And you know what I'm, uh, Peter saying, Jesus was so confident in what God would do by sending him to the cross that he went to the cross obediently and he knew he wouldn't be shaken. Verse 26, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Do y'all remember what happened to Jesus after he died and was in the grave for three days? It wasn't his soul that just, you know, lingered out of the tomb. No, do you remember what happened to Jesus? His whole body came out. Physical resurrection. Do you know where physical resurrection, bodily resurrection comes from? Jesus didn't invent that. That's Jewish. Ezekiel 37, Daniel chapter 1 and 2. The idea of being resurrected from the grave, that is prophecy of the Old Testament that all Jewish people were looking forward to. And so here is, here's Peter in Psalm 16, and he said, you know why Jesus was able to go to the cross as the Messiah? He was so confident that God would raise him from the dead. And look what it says here in Psalm 16. It goes on. He says, uh, my body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Or maybe your text says Sheol or Hades. You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. Here, Peter is using a text from Psalm 16 to tell Jewish people that yes, the Messiah expected to die and he was so confident in going to the cross, Jesus. He knew that he would be raised from the dead. He knew that he would experience a resurrection because there was a confidence that he would be raised because even the psalmist who writes this messianic psalm, a prophecy psalm, is looking forward and saying, no, 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 no. The Holy One will not experience decay even though he might die. And for that reason, Jesus goes to the cross with confidence. Oh, look at this. It goes on. Peter's up here preaching, people. I'm, this isn't me. This is Peter's message, okay? I'm just stealing it, all right? Fellow Israelites, again, we're talking to the Jewish people. I can tell you confidently. Do you see why Peter uses that word confidently? Because when you go to Psalm 16 and you look in the very first verse, it talks about confidence. And so he's saying, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. They revered David, everybody. But go, in your personal devotions, I want to encourage you to do First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles at some point. And you know what you're going to see over and over and over and over and over again as it retells the story of Israel's kings? It's going to tell you this. As they're reading through, you'll read about a king and it will say, this king wasn't like his father, David. And David becomes the quintessential king of Israel that every king gets based upon. Because God had made a promise to David that David, through you, there will be a king that will come that will rule on your throne forever and ever and ever. But every single king in the history of Israel's kings were always compared back to David. And David was an amazing king. Oh, he did an ama- amazing things for Israel and the Jewish people. 
Despite his sin, God still used him. He was a man after God's own heart. But look what it says here in the text. It says, uh, I can confidently tell you this much, that our patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, uh, would place one of his descendants on his throne, thinking of Jesus. Seeing what had come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life. And you know what? You're talking to somebody, this is Peter now, who witnessed it. I saw it myself. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what now you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, look at this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Hey, can I tell you something? Psalm 110, when you want to talk about apologetics, especially in the early church, Psalm 110 was the passage everybody went to to talk about the fact that even the greatest king in Israel's history, David, saw the fact that there would be someone greater than him, a greater Messiah, who would look to the Lord, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord said to my Lord. That's David writing that. Why would David call himself my Lord? He's saying, there is somebody greater that David was calling my Lord. And so this becomes a text that the early church, when it was predominantly Jewish people, used to share the good news of Jesus, that even King David saw the fact that there would be somebody who would sit on his throne that would be greater than him. And you know what Peter's saying? Not only did this king die and resurrect, but if you just go back a chapter, he ascended into heaven. And is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I have to tell you, when I was growing up in church and I heard sitting at the right hand of the Father, I always had this image of Jesus sitting on the hand of God like this, you know. Just, I I didn't understand what it meant. But you know what? It's not that Jesus is sitting here. To sit at your right hand means that God has given Jesus all authority and power and dominion to rule over every nation and tongue and tribe to the glory of his name forever and ever. That's exactly what the Jewish people thought about the Jewish king that would come, the Messiah that would come. I have to, let's see what time, okay, good, I have a few seconds here. Listen to this. I want you to hear Psalm 72, one of my favorite Psalms, to give you an idea of what Jewish people thought about the coming king of Israel. Listen to this. Psalm 72, endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the king of Israel. That's what they're talking about here. And I think they're pointing, the the writer of the psalm is pointing to Jesus. May he defend the afflicted among the people. Save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun and as long as the moon through all generations. Listen to this. Psalm 72 verse 8. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In the Old Testament, they already were thinking. That the Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah, would one day rule over every nation, tribe, and tongue. Forever and ever. 
Jesus is fulfilling this. See, it was already in their mind. When Peter's preaching, he's preaching to a people that knew what it meant for the Messiah to come. Can I show you something really quick? The question has to do with this. What are we going to do? What do we do? Well, Peter's going to answer this. I want you to hear this really quick. Psalm or Philippians chapter two. Just listen to this. This gives you the idea because they would sing this in churches. It was a hymn. Philippians chapter two, verse five. Paul says this in your relationship with one another. So now he's talking about what to do with this thing. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Listen to this. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now listen. Therefore... Because of his obedience and his humility and his kindness and his mercy that you see in the gospels and that you see in your life today because of what Jesus did. Listen to what it says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you read through Psalm 72, that psalm I just read to you, that talks about the fact that every king will bring tribute to the king of Israel. Every person will come and praise the name of the king of Israel. Do you know what, what Paul was doing? Paul was showing you something. God already knew what would happen to Jesus. It was no mistake whatsoever. It was a predetermined plan. It was in the foreknowledge of God. And Peter's trying to get the Jewish people on board with this. And by doing that, when Peter says, oh, this has all been a part of God's plan altogether. Let me show you something. True exaltation does not come by way of power. It does not come by way of influence in God's way of doing things. It does not come by way of money. It does not come by way of those things that the world considers power. But it comes through obedience to God and humility. And in that, God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest seat that there could be at the right hand of the father not because he not because uh, of some great influence that he had or amazing amount of money he had no 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 it was because he remained obedient and humble to the father and to us so listen to this watch what it says as it closes here this is what peter calls us to do watch this oh look at this go back to acts chris you're killing me here okay acts chapter two Listen to what it says. Fellow Israelites, he goes on and he says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
How do, how do I know this? Well, let me just say, the spirit that you see poured out on these Jewish people as they're speaking in tongues to one another, as they're communicating despite their language barriers, is the promise that God made to Joel that we see that we're living in the last days. How do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? This was not a mistake of God. God predetermined it. It was his plan all along. It was a part of what he had desired so that all the nations might be able to come to him. And Not only that, but Jesus not only resurrected from the dead, but now he's sitting at the right hand. And so what do we do about this? Well, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God uh, will call. And listen, the gospel went out. 3,000 people were saved that day from Peter's preaching. The Jewish people, the early church, can I tell you something? It was all Jewish. God was doing an amazing work in Jerusalem as the spirit was coming down and being poured out and they were seeing it right before their very eyes. So that, you know, this message isn't just for Jewish people though. Can I tell you what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you three things, land, Israel, descendants, Jewish people, a blessing. But you know what was a part of that blessing? That through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You are tied into the story of the Jewish people. You are tied into this promise. You should be, if you don't know Jesus, you should be asking yourself, what do I do now? And you know what Peter says? He says, turn, repent. God's provided a way for the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to carry the burden of sin any longer. Christ paid for it on the cross. You can just simply Turn to God and you will receive the promise that God made back in the Old Testament for you even right now, 2,000 years later, the coming of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you might live according to what the scriptures teach, that the Holy Spirit would guide you, lead you as you yield to the Spirit, as you study God's word, you will be transformed uh, into the image of his son. You will receive, you will be conformed into the image of his son. But Peter says this, it all starts with one thing. Turn, repent. If you don't know Jesus, it's so, I promise you, it's not complicated. It's not a contract that you need to sign. Just come and repent, turn. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm tired of carrying them with me wherever I go. My shame, my guilt. I don't, it, Jesus takes care of it when you come to the foot of the cross. He's paid for it. Can I show you something for the Christian? Y'all might have heard this verse before. Oh, not that one. We just read that one. This one. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Hey, can I tell you something? This fits in. See, there's a link between the suffering And all that Jesus had gone through and the exaltation, there's a link between him and you. 
Sometimes when we read that passage, we know that all things work together for good. We think, oh, like I should be having a good life right now. And that's not what Paul was saying. And that's not what Peter was saying. But that as a Christian, we live with hope in the future. That, that God has predestined these things. Just as he predestined Jesus to suffer and to live a life of suffering and in his obedience, in his suffering, was raised from the dead and was ex- exalted once and for all. Look what it says here. The same for you and me, that even in this world, as we're going through our daily life, as we're honoring God and trying to obey God by the yielding to the Holy Spirit, that all good things will work out. Why? Because we don't live for this time. We live for a hope that's coming. We are living in the last days, Joel, uh, uh, Peter says. And our, in our last days, we are remembering this isn't what we're living for. The suffering that we, you might be going, I don't feel like this is good, God. I'm suffering right now, or I'm dealing with a difficult issue in my life, or there's someone that's suffering in my family. But see, when Paul is writing this in Romans chapter 8, he's not thinking about this present time. He's thinking about what's coming in the future. That even in all the suffering and agony that maybe you're dealing with even right now, there will, God will explain it. When we arrive and he will show you how it got worked out for the good as he shows you the complete plan, just as in Jesus in his suffering, we suffer along with him in understanding that there is a hope. There is exaltation for you as well, for those who remain obedient and humble to God's calling in their life. These are Peter's truth bombs to Israel. They were lost They were deceived by the religious leaders. They needed hope. And they saw right before their very eyes something happening. And as they saw what was going on with the spirit coming down, people speaking in tongues, and they were going, what is going on here? Peter didn't just go, oh, we'll keep that on the down low. No, he used it as an opportunity to share the goodness of who Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is to them. And where they can find forgiveness, hope, and eternal life. Father, thank you, Lord, for this amazing sermon, a sermon within a sermon, Lord, to just be able to read how Peter was communicating with his own people who should have known, Lord, and yet he was rooting them back to the promises of Joel and rooting them back to the hope found in the Psalms, the texts and the scriptures that even them as Jewish people should have known. And yet Peter showed the kindness of God in his sermon that these people were probably there when Jesus went to the cross. And yet those people who were there and present and maybe even saying, crucify Jesus, crucify him, that God's grace and kindness is seen even in this moment. As Peter saying, even now you can return, you can repent and turn to God and find forgiveness. That's the compassion of who you are and the mercy of who you are, Father. We love you and thank you for these truths that we, that we can gain from at the book of Acts in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.